Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wendy Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. How's everything? Everything's going pretty good, man. And today we have a lot of topics to get into. As usual, um, we're going to get into a, you know, a couple of thoughts on the finals and also some um, trade rumors with Damian Lillard and uh, also some uh, album reviews in the second half. We're going to do a review of Seven Pounds. But to start off with just thoughts on the Suns early 2-0 finals lead and just how the Bucks can adjust. Um, Phoenix was able to have a 10-point win at home in Game 2. Devin Booker had 31 points and Chris Paul had 23. Um, Booker also had seven three-pointers and the Suns went 20 for 40 beyond, be, uh, behind the arc. Um, and for Giannis, you know, he had a, just a, a major performance with 42 points and, and 12 rebounds in his second game back after missing two games because of a hyperextended knee. Um, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton both had rough shooting performances and weren't at their same level of production. But what are your thoughts on Phoenix's two-game lead and just kind of how Milwaukee can get back in this series? Because we've seen how Phoenix can get to strong leads, especially at home. And now Milwaukee's in a position where it, it really feels as though they have to win both games at home to to kind of have a chance in this series. You know, it, it's crazy. It, <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks has to play perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah. And that's... That's not in their MO to play perfectly, especially when Giannis played on a sore leg. He had to carry the squad 42 points. He pretty probably played every minute of it. And when you mm-hmm. look at the second guy in command, Chris Middleton, 5 for 16. Drew Holiday played more aggressively, but he didn't have a better shooting. I think he had 17 points. But when your guys, the backup guys after Giannis, we know Giannis don't have a bag. We know Giannis is going to be, you know, one-trick pony as <laughs> – uh, <laughs> someone once put it so eloquently, but you know we, we already know what we're going to get from Giannis. But Chris Middleton, yeah. we see him show up in the series before. This is the time you're down 2-0. <laughs> Drew Holiday, you've been in these situations before 2-0, but you look at the Suns, man, they play perfectly, perfect basketball, perfect harmony, perfect in sync with each other. If Bridges had a crazy game, the last game. Um, Chris Paul had eight assists. We already know he's going to get his points. And Booker just looked like, like a seasoned vet. He just looked like he he just looked like he had already been there. Like <laughs> this was like nothing different for him. <laughs> I have not seen him rattled yet. Well, it's yeah. This is his first deep playoff run, and I've never I have never seen him rattled. Not hey, seen him rattled once. Not even when CP was down, he wasn't mm-hmm. rattled. That's crazy. I know a lot of people say that's impressive. Do not you know compare him to. Kobe Bryant, but you, he has similarities. He's looking like it. Exactly. He's having some similarities. I think the mindset he has, he's not shaken by the moment. A lot of a lot of players get shaken by the moment. Devin Booker's been here. It seems like he's been here before, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's really the thing. Like this, it's it's almost like we're seeing a contrast in mentalities because with Phoenix, it's just like they're, they're even after a two zero lead, lead, they're you know giving the mantra the job's not done yet. They're just really focused on on getting this entire run finished, and then with Milwaukee, it's it, 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 there's there's like inconsistencies. Like, is that one of the biggest takeaways you're having? Is that kind of maybe Milwaukee's mindset is inconsistent, and Phoenix just kind of has this consistent, like almost professional approach, like like the Spurs or Popovich would had, where they feel as though until the series is over, we have to have this mentality of the the job's not finished yet. Yeah, and you want you want players to have that. You don't want players to. Be, you know, get ahead of themselves. We're, we've seen a lot of people come back from, well, not a lot of people, we've seen four people come back from 2-0 deficits in the NBA Finals. One was the 2016 Cavaliers and 2006 mm-hmm. Miami Heat. But we haven't yeah, seen it in a lot. Yeah, we haven't seen it a lot. But 
We have seen Giannis them come back from an O2 deficit from the Brooklyn Nets this year on the helps of uh, injured Kyrie Irving coming out and James Harden not being fully uh, capable of his abilities of step back, step back, dribble, dribble, step back, step back. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> had to add that in there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, you, you look at how, like you said, how professional the Suns are, how they don't play hero ball. You know, I always praised uh, the Bucks for play, having good chemistry. They do, but yeah. they are surpassed by Man. eons. Or, you know what I mean? Like, they are surpassed by the Suns. It's so it's so much unselfish basketball in this camp, man. You see the, like, I think they passed the ball like 14 times. One was passed to, to Bridge, the Bridge to CP3, to Bucker, then to Jay Crowder. Beautiful that, basketball. And then they feed Aiton. That's the difference. They don't have a complete big man, and Aiden is a complete big man. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Like, they have all the, the perimeter guys. They have the three-point shooters. They have the guys coming off the bench, and then they have a solidified big man. It's That's insane. Yeah, that is. <laughs> so, so, like, how do you – and because, and, like, we're recording this before game three, but, but how do you think, like, these next two games play out? Do you feel – as though Milwaukee can get to back at home? Or do you think it's one of those things where game three, Milwaukee may come out as the more desperate team and pick up a home win and game four will really decide if this is going to be a series or not? You know, it's crazy for both these next two games, Giannis can't get over 35 points. Mm -mm. It's, it's a percentage they lose. I forgot what the percentage they, they lose. So you need Chris Middleton to eat. You need Drew Holiday to eat. You need Lopez to eat. You need other guys because Giannis is going to drain out. He's not going to be good as a defensive player if he has to go and get 42 points. And my other two guys are not even five for 16. Chris Middleton, he's the three-point guy. He's the guy who can, you know, do certain things that Giannis can't. And if yeah. Giannis has to do everything, they're going to lose. They're going to get gassed. And it's going to be simplified for <laughs> for the Suns because you have CP3, you have Devin Booker, you have Jake Crowder, and you, you have uh, DeAndre Anton. You, you have all these guys that they can depend on who come in bridges. Don't forget bridges. So yeah. when the other guys from uh, Milwaukee don't step up and then Giannis has to get 42 points or 38 points or have to go crazy, and his crazy is not crazy if you believe it because he doesn't have a bag. I always will reiterate that forever until he gets a bag. <laughs> Come on, Kobe. You should that's the last thing you should have did before you left, Kobe. Rest in peace, Kobe. Rest in peace, Kobe. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna be a sweep, bro. Because they're not gonna be able to Giannis it Wow, you're calling a sweep. Oh, most definitely. Sweep. Two mm. O. They have no answer. They have yeah. no answer. If Chris Middleton. It does really feel like after two games, we, we are seeing who the superior team is. We've been, we've seen the superior team ever since the playoffs started. They have been mm -hmm. embarrassing people. Like the Lakers. Goodness. Yeah. The defending champs. <laughs> Starting that. off like that. Exactly. At that, bro. Like. <laughs> um, but, but now listening to the rumors of, of Damian Lillard leaving Portland, just kind of what possibly could be a nice new fit for him if that actually happens. Um, according to Yahoo's Chris Haynes, Lillard is um, disgruntled with the Trailblazers, but he also has four years remaining on his contract, and um, they don't have a lot of incentive to trade him at the moment. And we've seen this in the past years where, you know, you have a star in a um, in, in a certain market where they, if you feel as though, like, they're going to be there forever, they, they want to stay there forever, and then something happens in a couple of seasons where they're just not getting over the hump and not, you know, making significant playoff runs. 
Um, but what are your thoughts on a possible trade departure from Portland this summer and what could be a good fit for him if this actually happens? They're not getting rid of Damian Lillard. There's no possible no. way. There's even a Especially with a new coach coming in. No, you need all the old guns you can get. Now, <clears throat> if they do decide to <laughs> trade your best player, <laughs> I mean, it's happened before. That's how you want to do it. <laughs> right, it's happened before, but I don't mm, I don't see them. They'll probably get a couple first-round draft picks, of course, but I don't see them picking up somebody. I don't think Billup will, you know, be like, yeah, do not trade. That's the first thing. Like, let's make him happy. Let's figure out what we can do to bring more players right. or make Damian Lillard happy. Because if you remember, Damian Lillard had a conversation with the owner a couple years ago, and they sat down. He exactly. asked them, what does he want? I think the organization is big on that. Now, if you're upset, tell me why you're upset. But I don't think they'll trade him. I don't even – I didn't even look up trade. I would like to see with the Lakers. I, that's just me. I don't know. Yes, that would be fascinating. I want to see with the Lakers. I don't want Russell Westbrook with LeBron. I don't want that because yeah, I've been seeing that thrown around. That would not be a, a good fit. Not at all. I don't care if she followed the owner of the <laughs> Lakers. Do not go to LA. <laughs> I don't care. I'm talking about Russell Westbrook's wife, ladies. And gentlemen. I know. Yeah, I don't I'm care who about, you follow. Yeah, I don't care who she follows. I want to get more context. So we're like, who is he talking about? Like I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, Russell Westbrook's <laughs> wife. But no, I think if anywhere I want him to go, I want him to go to the Lakers. Damian Lillard. I think it'll be a perfect fit. I think it'll mm-hmm. be like a Kyrie situation because LeBron will want the best for Damian. And LeBron can actually be what he really wants to be, a facilitator and a defensive guy. Like, LeBron can do all those things, but he's a smart player, and Damian Lillard will feed right into that, and he will be – it's dang time. It will be fit right mm-hmm. to But I don't foresee with the new – like you said, new head coach. I don't think the organization can take another loss because it's going to be difficult to transition with Chauncey Billups. I know he's a you know, great guy, but without Damian Lillard, you're your best guy, and we don't know what C.J. McCollum would do without Damian Lillard. So, yeah. I don't foresee a trade coming anytime soon because you probably get a couple of first round picks and probably like two supporting guys for Damian Lillard. But hmm. send Dennis yeah. Schroeder over there. Could do that. <laughs> send, <laughs> That's a possibility. Send Dennis over there, Mister. I want five years. What one hundred forty? Oh my goodness! What have you done to deserve this? <laughs> you didn't even show up in the finals, bro. <laughs> Now he's just I making mean, demands. Yeah, the first round. You didn't even show up. You want one hundred forty? Did you see Dinwiddie's? outrageous numbers too like dude come oh on. my goodness you're not even the sixth best player on the team like what <laughs> and you want not even top five <laughs> not even top five you want over 100 million dollars man get, be realistic bro come on oh my goodness um but but yeah now listening to just kind of thoughts on the um Jakari richardson disqualification from the tokyo olympics and just how maybe strict rules need to be addressed for the future. Um, you know, the recent news and trending story of Shakari's failed drug tests, there has now been a petition to reinstate the track star and um, revisit the rules around marijuana and, and athletics. Um, she tested positive last month and on Tuesday mm-hmm. um, that there was the news that Richardson was, you know, also left off the um, U.S. Re- relay lace, meaning it would not only keep her from competing in the 100-meter dash, but just the entire Olympics, which, you know, brought out um, an even bigger uproar but what are your thoughts on this disqualification? Also, just the growing support she's received from, you know, other athletes and celebrities to give her another shot because we've seen it in many, you know, young stars' career, young athletes' careers. 
um, that, you know, there's an early mistake, but they can, they still have enough time. She's only 21 to recover. And, um, you know, from, for everything I'm hearing, she can be just probably the next big um, sprint and track star. You know, it's crazy. There's multiple other athletes who've done way worse who actually smokes marijuana frequently and mm-hmm. is very advocating. He's been seen smoking weed. His name is Michael Phelps. Yep. He, he didn't get anything, he didn't, you know, any consequences that you have Ryan Locke who goes over there and embarrasses America. He just gets a slap. He doesn't even get a slap on the wrist. He's just a kid. The guy was like 30 years old. So you get a Shikari Richardson who just smokes to deal with, you know, family issues, and it doesn't even enhance or do anything, and you suspend. It's a crazy cycle I'm seeing. It's mm-hmm. just re- reoccurring over and over and over. Only the 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 dark skinned people get chastised exactly. for things that other athletes who are more pale would not get. Exactly. And then you don't even include her on the four by one. You give her a thirty day suspension. Will qualify her to go to four by one, and then you replace her with some. I don't. I don't I'm not saying she would have won. There's other women in Jamaica who ran faster times, mm-hmm. but right. she's an upcoming star. I would want her to compete at the the highest level. And y'all robbed her from that because marijuana is legal in multiple <laughs> states. <laughs> <laughs> just to let you guys know <laughs> there are people who are now millionaires because the marijuana is legal what is going exactly. on here and oh gosh this is just the most double standard country ever like it's yeah in- insane man i digress they did her wrong i don't know yeah and i mean it- it's like you-, you even see athletes like patrick mahomes he was on on first take a couple of days ago talking about it and he was saying like you know, athletes have made mistakes in the past before. And, you know, this is just, she should at least be given a chance. Yes. Like in terms of when, when even other athletes from different sports are just observing this and acknowledging it, like, what does that say to you? Because, you know, a- athletes, they know other athletes, they know the things that they have to go through mm-hmm. and for them to just acknowledge hey, like, yeah, it was a mistake, but still come on, like at least give her another shot. You know, it's crazy. But I think, if anybody should have said something and came out for her defense, it should have been Michael Phelps. It should, yeah, exactly. It should have. That's the first person to be like, yo, I've done it. But you, you think they would do something like that for a, a black athlete? No, absolutely mm-hmm. not. But if it was another white athlete, and, and I'm not trying to make they would this give it a, They'll be giving a pass. They'll give a pass. Like, hey, let him race. No, I don't see no white athlete coming to her defense. And the lady who replaced her said, oh, this is something, don't do drugs, kids. What? <laughs> you probably do cocaine. What do you mean? You probably <laughs> do shrooms. Like, dude, like, get off your high horse. It, it, uh, it just pissed me off. They, they really did her dirty. They really did her dirty. And it's always athletes who do more horrendous things who don't get anything done to them. But when it comes to a black 21-year-old girl who's different, who's flamboyant, who does things mm-hmm. her own way, and then you find out, you finally get something. Oh, she smoked weed. No. It's a, it's legal. It's legal in multiple states. Like, yeah. You know what? Anyway, it's insane. It's dumb. She, she definitely, and, and, and I, I, I even if she doesn't, you know, get another shot, like, 
four years from now, when, when there's, you know, when the Olympics roll, roll around again, I feel as though she's going to, this is going to be a comeback story for her. She's going to yeah. really show what she was capable of and the fact that they, they really made a major mistake and just um, go on to have an amazing uh, young career. Um, but transitioning to our album reviews and to start off with, with Snow Allegra's Temporary Highs and the Violet Skies and just what elements of this you admire the most. Um, in this latest album, there's just a, a strong amount of introspection and um, her emotional availability and candor, just one of her top strengths. Um, so many different sounds are merged together from um, the spacey 808s and tastes, um, the delicately layered harmonies and tingering dream and just the impeccable production with flutes up to a, a gentle falsetto and just like that. And this is the type of album that, you know, may have not broadened her sound or lyrical content, but it was still a, a project that highlighted just her openness and expression of love um, very well. Mm-hmm. But um, this, this is an album we've been anticipating a lot and kind of just what are your thoughts on this third album from her and just what worked the most in, in your opinion? I think it was the same feel from the from the pre- previous album. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, those feels again. I think it was a similar. Which was an incredible project. Yes, that was a dope project. I love her concepts in that project. This one, I mean, her concepts wasn't bad, but it was, you know, it was. I think it was a vibe. I think it wasn't mm-hmm. anything too flamboyant or too. Mm, oh, this was it. This was this crazy album. It was just a vibe, and she really stuck to her guns. I don't think she really tried to do anything different. I mean, her voice is yeah. unique, so you really can't do much with it to kind of you know do anything different with it. So I think she stuck to her guns. It's the same vibe from the last album. I don't think it stuck as well as the last album, but I think it was. I think it was decent. I think um, it was crazy how many features Tyler Creator had, but it's okay. <laughs> I was wondering when I first listened. I was like, "Man, I know, I know, Savon's gonna say something about these features. <laughs> he gets two features." <laughs> you know what's crazy? I was thinking in my head, like, which songs did she love the most in the first? It's like, you know what? We gotta bring Tyler back. Tyler is so good. Like, we gotta bring him back. Like, but I will say this: the James Fontaine feature that that went crazy. Yeah, I, 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 I will say yes. Oh my yes, mom was nice. Oh, my what were kind of some of your favorites? Because I indecisive lost you and. I think we don't have to talk about it, and, and on my mind were kind of like my top ones, but kind of like, what were some of your favorites? Most definitely Indecisive. Lost Shoe was definitely one. Um, on my mind was like my favorite. I'm not going to hate on Neon Peach. I think Neon Peach was dope. I'm not going to hate on I don't think, I'm not going to hate on it, but I didn't like um, In the Moment. But Neon Peach was, it was, it was, it was straight. It was, it was, you know, it was what it is. But Indecisive, Lost Shoe, and then, um, on my mind was the best song on the album. I wish yes. I wish he would have had it further up. I do too. Yeah. But I guess in retrospect of how the album should flow, and she put it at right there. I mean, it still it still flows. The album flows, in my opinion. But I wish she would have reconstructed it so that would have been up there. But I guess she put that so people continue to listen and just stumble upon it at eleven. And be like, oh. And it makes them because that is the them. thing. Sometimes you want to put your maybe some of your, your your like underrated best songs later, you know, so 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 fans can kind of like just keep sticking with it, and then you know they 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 just jump into just a great track. Yeah, and it is fifty songs. So that's a long. I mean, the average. I think the longest one was like four minutes, which is crazy nowadays because a lot of people attention span doesn't go over like two minutes and thirty seconds. But um. I think the album flowed well. I think now that I think about it, I think it was perfect at number 11 just to continue people to listen and be like, oh man, this is 
okay, I almost turned this off. Okay, on my mind. All right. <laughs> so it wants it makes you want to go to the next one. Um, but no, I finished it. I, I think I got I got to run it back again. But I think it was a, a nice little vibe. I don't think it. I think the last um, album was better than this one. Yeah, I definitely do as well. Um, and now transitioning to, to to Vince Staples' um new album, self-titled project, Vince Staples, and just kind of thoughts on his sharp and penetrating lyrics. Um, in this new project produced entirely by Kenny Beats, there's a reserved musical approach that um magnifies the setting Vince is trying to have and and, and just how he's built his name over the last decade. Um, there's a shadowy wor- world that he's highlighting as is you know is such a concise study in paranoia and peril. Um, his songwriting is is just such a strength, and then the uh. The strip back beats put his words front and center as he delivered just some of the most personal and well-written verses of his career so far. And this, like, talk about another, like, you know, not not very long project, only 10 songs. Yeah. This was one of the best albums I feel like I've heard all year, just how he was able to put just a concise project yes. with just, you know, effective storytelling. Like, this is, this is to me, like, an album I'm going to be listening to a lot just because of how concise it is and just yes. how you can run through it just so well. I mean... No skips at all to me, and this is just a phenomenal body. Yeah, this is a round of applause. Like, if we can put a round of applause features, uh, <laughs> Maurice, and like, this is the one you right gotta now. put it to. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, but kind of just what are your overall thoughts on it on this extremely concise album of just very effective songwriting and storytelling? Vince been that guy, man. Vince has yes. Vince has been so underrated for years. He's like currency to me, currency is one of those. Those guys, it's just a, he's just li- a lyrical. No, let's get back on Vince. Vince is a lyrical guy. His storytelling is superb. The guy's mm-hmm. flows, he can interchange flows with ease. He's not an ABC yes. rapper. Like, <laughs> his beats are fire. And he went with Kenny Beats, one of the best decisions mm-hmm. you will ever make. Kenny Beats is a dope uh, producer. And then <clears throat> you just look at the flow of his album. You know what I mean? It's not. And I love the, he keeps it so simplistic when it comes to yes, that's concepts what I love. and albums. He doesn't do our, sometimes it's really dope to have concepts, but it's really, if you're a really good rapper or a guy or lyricist, you don't need the flam, you like the flamboyant. That's the word of the day. It keeps popping up. <laughs> Keyword. <laughs> <laughs> but it's literally Vince Staples and he has 10 songs and I'm going to rap my butt off. You like it. Mm-hmm. Or you hate it, it doesn't matter. I'm doing me. That's what I like about Vince Staples. He just seems like a cool guy too. So. Yes. Yeah. Like you said, no skip song, no skip songs. Straight through. I was vibing with the entire time. And you know that you know some rappers can't do fast paced songs and they don't sound right. His voice fit fit with fits with every beat. The production was crazy. Yeah, man. I get this. I get this. I, out of what we doing a one out of ten stars or five. One out of five stars. Which one do you want? I'll let you choose. We, we, we can do five. This five. was a five-star album. This was a yeah, five-star album. Most this was perfect. There, there's nothing most wrong definitely. with this album. <laughs> I have no critiques. No, no nothing. critiques. And uh, he, well, did he have features? Um, He had Fouché on, oh, yeah, on Take It Home. Yeah, which Fouché. was one of my yeah. favorite tracks. Fouché was definitely on that. I forgot. I did. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who Fouché is. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever, ever, yeah. ever. Well, you like, when I was listening, I was like, "What am I like? What, what, what am I even listening to?" Like, I, I, I got, I got to expand my, the people I listen. Fouché. <laughs> so, I mean, this was a this was a ten track album. Was there? Yeah. What would like? Was there one track where you're like, "Yo, this was the best song he he put together"? Like, out of so many just elite tracks, um, 
to me, it's a tie between like Law of Averages is one of the best songs I've heard all year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Taking Trips and Sundown Town were like tied for for, for, for like my my top two favorites. Yeah. Um, but but out of all of these, like like was there one or maybe two you would say like yo this is this is the the best of just an overall amazing project that he did. I had a feeling you were going to answer this question, and I still don't have an answer. It's tough. I, I think it is. I think it is Sundown Town. I don't know. Mm. I think it is that song. Or it could be... Mm, I really did like Sundown Town. Yes. And I did like the apple and the tree for some reason. I don't know why. The interludes were even effective as well. Would you call them interludes? Well... I get. I, I, I guess know. we have to re- redefine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I mean maybe they were interludes. I just, I, just, I don't know. Yeah, we, it's a possibility. Or like a skit. Yeah, yeah. I was Skits. like, it's more like you just said, call it a skit. Like I know Apple in the Tree wasn't like really like you know anything, but I just I just liked how it you know it gave you a pause, it gave you a breathing. Like okay, let's calm down all the fireness right now. I'm gonna give you something light and heavy. I mean light yeah. it light it easy. And then we're gonna get back into the oodles and noodles. But yeah, I, I like. But no, out of all the songs, I think Sundown Town was. Yeah, yeah, that's my. Job. Absolutely, definitely. Um, and, and actually, listening to to to, our, to, to a, a new single, a, a new track that that Boz um uh, uh released with J Cole and Lil TJ. And in this track, you know that many uh, it's called the Jackie. And in this track, that many have described as a summer anthem. It's you know a heavy hitting um trap sound and Cole gives, you know, infectious melodies and, and semi-aggressive lyrics. Um, Boz is a very sleek verse and, and, and uh, TJ closes out with a more aggressive flow. But this is, you know, a, a, a very, a, a, a very uh, catchy song. Uh, one of the just the best summer songs I think have been released so far. But kind of like what are your initial thoughts on this track and, and just like how the, the features were able to be put together on on this new Boz song? Ooh. This was a different vibe for Boz. I don't know if that's anybody else have that opinion, but you know, Boz is more like a, you know, jazzy vibes or like yes. like low end songs that really just he just really flows and his voice is like an added instrument to the beat. This one was more. It didn't really feel like a summer song, but it really felt like a nice little like up tempo vibe from his normal. Um, right type of feels. And I think little TJ did kind of balance J. Cole and Boz of the song and made it even like 10 times better because TJ, but TJ got the, he's he's up there, you know what I mean? He's up there when it comes to the music game. But I think this this was a nice song. It wasn't, it was catchy, but it really wasn't anything spectacular that I would like put on repeat over and over. Um, Cause you know, I think Boz is still underrated. I think he's literally the Tim Duncan of, one of the mm-hmm. many Tim Duncans of yeah. when it comes to rap. He just fundamentally sound and just doesn't do, not flashy. He'll come in and murder a booth and be like, okay, I'll clean up after. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's one of those type of fellas. And I think J. Cole, J. Cole definitely not no uh, Tim Duncan. He's definitely like a uh, LeBron James type in the yes. music game. But in, the, Boz, in that top tier. Exactly. So Boz is most one of the most underrated people that has been doing it consistently and hasn't, you know, got that, you know, got to that top tier. But I, I don't know if he wants that or not, but he just, he seems like a cool dude too. Just laid yeah. back and just, but no, I think the song was, it was, it was dope. I don't think it was something like spectacular though. Cause it was a different lane for him. Like it's, yes. it's not, it's not, I wasn't used to hearing that from Boz. So, so it definitely felt like he was experimenting with different sounds. Um, uh, but, but before we move on to our movie review, there also was the announcement from, 
Isaiah Rashad that the house is burning is going to drop July 30th. And this is, a, you know, another project we've been looking forward to a lot. Um, do, do you feel as though this, it, the, the project that he's about to put out, do you feel as though it can be in the contender if he's in the lane that he's usually in? Do you think it can be in the contender of, of one of the best albums of the year so far if we're, if we're hearing the best of what Isaiah Rashad can do? If he's in the lane, if he's in his lane, mm-hmm. like for 80% of the album, it'll, it'll, it'll be a classic. You know, yeah. it'll, be, it'll be a classic. But if he's experimenting most of the album and we get what he did with Duke Deuce or whatever his name is, then yeah. I'm not going to rock with it. That's not, I mean, it's okay to experiment, but like you have to give us the, you know what I'm saying, the, your foundation of music. So we can still rock with you. Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. First song was trash, but he he headed back up with headshots and for the locals. Mm-hmm. And I still think he that was like a pun or like a a a, a, a concept right there for the locals for his a very fans. strategic title. Yes, I hope so. I just want to interview these rappers, man, just because I love like the concept. But anywho, but if he stays yeah. in his lane for eighty percent of the album, then I think it'll be a class because I mean he's a lyricist. He's a guy who just flow tracks that's that's what he does i I definitely agree if he stays in his lane because like like there's a contra like i I feel as though the the the, maybe why the album didn't come out in june like you said the late which it didn't get the the same type of uh response and 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 maybe just a a applause that you know it usually would get but if he sticks with what he did in headshots um because to me like headshots really did sound like something you would hear off the sun's tirade Mm-hmm. And, and 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 like a, a, his his last album, and I think that contrast is is definitely going to be an ineffective thing. But were, were there any other last thoughts you you had to give off it? Oh, I think that's it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off because I was like, I just <laughs> I literally forgot what I was talking about, bro. I was just listening to you. <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with our seven pounds review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our seven pounds review, and um, we're joined by a special guest, uh, Max Pettyon, a good friend of the show, has been on for a lot of our past movie reviews, but uh, thanks for being back on, man. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be back with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And to start with the overview of Seven Pounds, Seven Pounds is a 2008 drama film directed by uh, Gabrielle uh, Musino, where Will Smith stars as a man who sets out to change the lives of uh, seven people. Uh, Rosario Dawson, Woody Harrelson, Barry Pepper, and Michael uh, Ely also star um, this, this this film was still a box office success with 169.7 million at a budget of 54 million. Um, the film did re- 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 um, receive some um, negative reviews and had a very low per- percentage from Rotten Tomatoes with uh, only 27. percent um, But to start it off, Max, what are your initial thoughts on a film where Will Smith, you know, had to deliver in a, an impressive range of emotional speeds? As this was a film that you know really moved around its timeline frequently. Uh I mean, I thought he did a, a great job. It, it, did, it did remind me of uh, Pursuit of Happiness, but I felt like it was a little deeper acting mm-hmm. than that one was for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, save on to you. Um, you know, I, I feel as though we've mentioned this in the past before, as this is a performance from Will Smith that we really admired. Um, what were kind of your initial thoughts on it and, you know, the range that he was able to show in this film? I think this is one of his best films, man. Um, a lot of people, I've yep. looked at reviews from different, um, you know, websites, and I'm just like in awe. Like, but no, they never said anything about Will Smith's performance. They just said something about the storyline and the entire yeah. movie in itself. But I think Will Smith's performance is like 
Max said uh, it was an upgrade from Pursuit of Happiness, and Pursuit of Happiness is definitely one of his top five movies, uh, especially mm-hmm. when it comes yeah. to drama. Is trying to show range. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I like his performance. I think I think he did a really uh, good job here in conveying a hurt man who's trying to right his wrongs in helping different people. I think he I think he captured that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to start off with our with our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, Max, to you from one to four stars, uh, what would be your particular rating? Kind of some of your reasons for it. Oh, that's hard. <coughs> Tough. <laughs> so. I'm going to preface this by saying I don't always like movies like these. Like, I don't like to see people's pain. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I'm drawn towards, like, that melancholy. Like, I'm drawn towards that kind of stuff anyways, even though I don't always like some mm-hmm. of the parts of the story. So I'm going to say because of of the acting that Will Smith had to put into it, I thought the storyline was good. So I'm going to give it uh, a four- Point three, mm-hmm. I know we did a half, <laughs> but I'm going to go with 4.3. All right. Yeah. 4, 4, 4 is a really, really solid rate. I, I would probably give it a 4 as well because, to me, this, the staging was excellent and just the plot presentation was delivered in it just an interesting way. And it, to me, this is a very underrated drama that was just, you know, well shot and well acted. Um, To you, Savon, kind of like from one to four stars, what would you give it? I'll give it a three. Just because okay. they waited too, I think with the storyline, they waited too long to reveal what the back and forth of going to different timelines and flashbacks were about. I think it mm-hmm. lingered on way, way too much, just a, just a tad to kind of bring the audience back in because you can lose the audience that fast by not cluing them in on certain things. It's, it's a difference between trying to be, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess, um, not sure even strategic, just kind of cutting in the way you write, but you have to have the audience engaged with you at some point in the movie. And once you try to bring it back, then you lost some of, you may have gained some of the, the viewers in engagement, but you lost some people as well. So I think that it kind of lingered on of not telling us why we're, you're going back for these flashbacks and different things like that. Um, yeah. And I think you don't think it held them at, I feel like it, it held people at hot, like, as hostages because you like Will Smith and all that stuff. I don't know. I thought, I actually thought the opposite of that. You know what I'm saying? If that makes sense. Like, I felt like it, it held you like, cause you keep asking like, what is he hiding? What is he hiding? And then I think they give you a break from that with the relationship building uh, with Emily's character. If that makes sense. I think that was a little forced though. And when it comes to the storyline, because half of the movie went past before they even tied it back together. At that point, you really don't care. You're just watching a movie. You're not into, um, just like, well, it said, what's your favorite movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? Another, I think it's... Uh, Inception. Inception. Inception yeah. keeps you engaged, yes. but I just didn't care for the film. Like, with... With uh, seven pounds, you're interested because you're seeing Will Smith at a different angle in his in his stage of his career. But as for a storyline, as for like engagement, if you mm-hmm. wait too long to bring your viewership in, you can, you can lose the audience. Get, exactly, yeah. and I think that's what a lot of that's why they got 27 percent on Rotten Tomatoes because they waited so long to engage the audience. They wanted to be not you know suspenseful of what he's hiding but in retrospect you lost us because now we're like okay 
you st- he started a whole relationship. He's falling in love. Like what? Like what's going on? Like it's you know, <laughs> leave some type of breadcrumbs to connect the engagement. That's yeah. That's what I, I, I thought. I thought that. it was like a mis misdirection for for those who did stay engaged. But well, they enough. missed all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Swing and a miss. <laughs> hey. Um, but 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 now getting to favorite character to, to me it, it was it was Emily because this was such a subdued and honest character as she really you know compels the audience to be drawn um to her story with her persona and not just because of the script. Um, but to you, Max, overall looking back at this film, who was kind of your favorite character? Uh, I'm gonna say Emily as well because I mm-hmm. pretty much love anything Rosario Dawson does. Yeah, she's like even if she played like, what was that movie, Walking Tall or something like that, or that movie with yeah. the Rock, and she's yeah, supposed tall. to be like you know some bad or not bad guy, but like revolutionary like person, like rebel. I don't know. I just I just think her characters are. She really has. Uh, oh she has yeah, a, she, she really has a kind of character that she plays. Uh but. It's not like, like I feel like some people play like you know uh, what's that what's that a uh, guy who talks fast, Vince Vaughn. Yeah, Vince Vaughn. Like yeah. every movie that he plays, I'm like, what the heck am I watching? <laughs> he always plays the same t- fast talking characters, and it's just like, okay, this is getting old. But I felt like the the characters that Rosario Dawson plays, I don't know, I, they always pull me in, and she just has that personality. I'm like, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm hoping that because that's her normal personality, but. I'm gonna say it's her. I, I like the character that she played, and you know, she she uh, kind of was the one, and then the way she was the one who kind of brought together, you know, after she heard the story from his brother, like how she brought together the other characters or reached out, uh, or other you know people that he helped. I thought that was pretty cool too. But. Yeah, definitely. Um, save on to you. Kind of like who was your overall favorite character? I'll take Ben. Uh, mm. I want. I mean, Ben's brother. I'm sorry. Um, Ben's brother. Not Ben. I want to say Ben. Tim's I... brother. Who? You meant Ben. Yeah, Ben's brother. But his his brother is actually Ben, <laughs> and he's Tim. Oh yeah, because he was oh, in person. Yeah, he played, yeah, he played exactly. Ben the whole time. That's what exactly. Yeah. Trips us up. That is right. Anywho, yeah. I forgot all that. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I, I honestly didn't know his name was Tim either until I read it. Yeah. So, yeah, Ben. Okay, we'll go. <laughs> Thank you for that. But, I was like, huh? Oh, what? His name is Ben. Like, Inception, I, there you go right there. Yeah, Inception, <laughs> man. It's coming back. <laughs> you, can't, you can't escape it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, now, nah, Ben, the real Ben, um, I think his character was a vital part because it gave us some type of um, – Clue, I guess, or just it kind of story. Brought, yeah, it gave it, mm-hmm. it kind of brought it back together of how he was able to go and find these people and find information, you know, impersonating a, um, his brother. So I think his character, and then he was the first person, you know, he did something for for the first seven people. So I think he's the character kind of he was the the glue to try to bring everything and stick it everything together. It ain't do as well, you know them. Those fly traps you buy, those little strips, they'll catch like two <laughs> flies, but it's a million other flies in the house. Yeah, that's what um, his character was supposed to be. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I don't want the people to like. I really like. I like the film, but like, if you were trying to dissect this, the storyline could have been better. There were some flaws. Yeah, there were some flaws. Um, but 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 now transitioning to most memorable scenes, um, I had the opening scene where where um where Ben calls nine one one reporting mm-hmm. a suicide and claiming that the victim is himself. Also, the uh, the calling as returner, um, Ben helping the older woman at the hospital scene in which, you know, he found out the harsh mistreatment she had been experiencing. Um, also, Ben giving away his beach house to the single mother. And uh, finally, the surprise gift and dinner scene where Emily and Ben enjoy a special night together. Um, but to you, Max, kind of like, Wimby, what was one or two of your uh, kind of memorable scenes from this film? Uh, one that stuck out to me, because it, it's, it's just like, when he told the 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 mom to don't be weak, you know, like, yeah. I felt like that was important for her. But at the same time, like, but you being weak because you about to like kill yourself. <laughs> but mm. you know, you know, and that's not that's not a, a, a an opinion on like suicide or anything like that. Right. And, but it's you know he's just someone who's hurting from you know his past, and but at the same time, I felt like that moment came back after that night with Emily. It was almost as if he had to tell himself, don't be weak and to stick to his plan of like what he planned to do. Cause it's almost like she was distracting him for a moment. And it was like that, that kind of came back and I'm not sure if they meant it to be that way uh, or, or, you know, kind of some kind of reverse foreshadow. I'm not sure if they even make sense, but it was like, you know, he talked himself back out of out of you know growing old with Emily because there was no you know possibility for that when he talked to that doctor in that scene, uh, and I thought that was pretty important. And I, I think the overall like what stuck out to me a lot was just that scene where he like fixed the machine for her, and then that look that she had, you know, like Rosario mm-hmm. killed that like character like. You know, it's just like that, I don't know, those intentional moments of humanity where you just do yeah. intentional things for people. Mm-hmm. And I just, that just, that's that's how, that's the kind of things I, I personally connect to uh, when mm-hmm. people are intentional about their acts and what they say and what they do, uh, when it has meaning and it's not just force. And so I don't know, that's just stuck out to me. I, I really connected with that part too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what what was like maybe one or uh, or just a few memorable scenes um, that you had from Seven Pounds? Well, besides the ones that you already mentioned, I think the one where he was testing Ezra. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. that was that was one one of the dopest scenes ever because a lot of people would have showed their true nature and true true color. He was testing him to see if he was worthy enough. Um, yeah, but I think it was a crazy way to test, you know, a blind guy. Yeah, like <laughs> that's not, that's horrendous. But I mean, you have to do the extreme um, to, you know, to so people can show who they really are. And um, Ezra was the nicest guy ever, so I thought that was a good scene. And just and, it, and you can tell it did hit something to him to be to want to to do that to try to test him. I try don't to know. push him. Yeah, I thought that was a great acting moment. Like you're acting within acting. Yeah. I thought that was like that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, I had, in seven days, God created the world, and in seven seconds, I shattered mine from Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't treated myself very well, another one from Ben. Um, why do I get the feeling you're doing me a really big favor from Emily? Um, I lied to you. I think about dying every day um, from Ben. And then uh, the 
the start now quote from Emily where in, in response to Ben saying that, you know, he has, hasn't treated himself very well. And I thought that that was just a very, just, you know, uh, a deep and thought provoking type of a uh, type of quote um, in that conversation that they had. Um, Max, to you kind of like, what was one of your memorable quotes from this film? Uh, I thought, I thought it was, it was funny, a funny quote when, when uh, Emily was like, I used to be really hot. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Like un unaudibly hot, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. I loved that. It was like a break in that in that uh, scene. Seriousness, yeah. Uh, and the quote that I mean had me like I'm the type of person that likes to think about the movie and not be able to guess what it was. But mm-hmm. when when uh, when uh, Tim Ben tells his brother, "I remember giving you something. Remember that, you know, because I remember it very clearly." And because this, the char- the person that he's, sh- the stuff that he's trying to do, I felt like he was trying to not allow himself to be quote unquote weak in that moment because right. his brother felt sorry or whatever. But he also, I was, I was also like, what did he give him? I really want to know. <laughs> and then also didn't tell you until the end of the movie, but I thought, I, I, I thought that was, that, that's kind of stuck out to me and there are probably more, but. Definitely. They, yeah. Um, Savon, so you kind of like what was what were some of your memorable quotes um, from this movie? Um, one when Ben Tim, we call him Ben Tim. Ben Tim, um, yeah, gotta say that. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Ben Tim. <laughs> uh, I lied to you. I think about dying every day was another mm-hmm. one. Um, oh yeah, when he said um, I was planning on dying here, and the dude was like, "Do you have to pay in advance?" <laughs> that was really dope. Um. And there's another where he was asking asking about how long does Emily have or the list he was talking to the doctor. I can't remember the lines per se, but that's I forgot to say that scene and those, you know, the those lines was very pivotal of why he kind of expedited the process of, of killing himself to so other people can enjoy life, I guess. But no, no, those are the yeah. Oh, and it, and it's time was a real scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. That was real. I was and, like, dang. And they did start crying really hard. <laughs> I'm the man. Yeah. I would have cried too. Like one of my best friends. Yeah. <laughs> Going through this, he's about to kill himself, and I gotta do all his paperwork because I'm his lawyer. Like that's you know that's a crazy scene. Yeah. Um, but but now listening to what did you like uh, the most about the storyline? To me, just the originality and how the story was simple but also kind of complex in the way you know the end of the movie was revealed at the beginning which just kind of compartmentalized the way you, you viewed um, s- some elements of it. Um, Max, to you, what in particular about this storyline did you like the most? I just like the humanity of it all. And, you know, like, you know, to, yes, he was going through some trauma. He probably needed counseling. That might have been the better step. But, you know, he he wanted to find out people who he can give you know, his organs to who would deserve it. And I think, you know, obviously we're not God, but I think, you know, I think, I guess he was looking for people who, who would actually do something with their lives, you know? And I thought, you know, that storyline and just, you know, everybody that he gave an organ to just humanized and, and uh, in order to, I feel like in order to be someone like that in real life, you have to be able to see not only your humanity, but others as well. Uh, I didn't think he devalued his life. I just think he was just heartbroken and and uh, and you know 
and, and, and in pain. But I also thought, you know, after Emily got his heart and hearing about how he helped other people, and the question I was just like, man, what's worse, like having a bad heart or having heartbreak mm. like Emily had? Because that was like crazy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love the story overall because of that. You know, it, you know, I don't really, like I said, I don't really like to see people's demise in any shape or form. Right. Uh, but I thought, you know, him giving of himself, you know, that's also, you know, sacrificing himself for other people to live a full life. You know, uh, you know, he felt like he took seven people's lives and he gave seven people life or new life, you know. So, yes, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what element in particular of the storyline um, did you like the most? Through all the extremeness of his film and just going overboard with his film, I, I like the way that he got a second chance. Yes. But he had some restrictions because he was in love. He was a big time doctor. He was, he's now, he, you know, he kills, accidentally kills seven people with the one he loved. And then he's trying to help people. Then he gets a glimpse of a second chance of love to settle down, but she needs a heart. So it's kind of like he can't have, he still can't have, he can't, he have to follow through of his plan. So, he, you know what I mean? It's just like even the woman that he fell in love with, with Emily, he still couldn't have her because she has a time limit. She's gonna die regardless. So it's like you know, it's like a play on play on actions. Like okay, even if I yeah. didn't want to kill myself, and then I found the person I want to fall in love again with, but I can't. We can't have a life because if you go back to she said, "Do you want to play the what if game?" And he was like, "What if my pager goes off?" Blah blah blah. He was like, "What if? What if we had children? What if we got married?" So in though yeah. in that game, he, he reveals what he truly wants. He really doesn't want to kill himself. Now, I think if he would have fell in love with a person who didn't need a heart, I don't think he would have killed himself. I don't think he would have went to the extreme to be able to, because, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm just going down a rabbit hole, but right. I, I like the way they kind of pieced that together. Yeah, it's like a catch-22 for him. Yeah, because he still has Absolutely. some type of morals. He still has some type of selfishness about him that he really doesn't want to kill himself. He really wants to love, but, it, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm going down a rabbit hole. Nah. <laughs> I did, all of that re- really really makes a lot of sense. But and, and ter- before we get to our last topic, you know, Will Smith, he's had a, just a, a very storied career, has done a lot of things mm-hmm. um, from, you know, being a TV show star, uh, a rapper and movie star. Like in terms of how do you think like his career will be remembered, Max? Like, like and, and then, then Savon, like what do you guys think is possibly like the, the most, the, the, the particular element he will be remembered as? Maybe like a, a TV star, like a movie star like like which one would, would you guys say like when his career is done he will be remembered kind of like more from i don't know i think i mean will smith is one of the rare people that we have that can do do it all in, in a sense yeah. of you know like i'm not sure if he's ever done like broadway or anything but i i'm pretty sure he'll smash that nah. you know but mm-hmm. i i think like i honestly think he'll be remembered like a switchblade like in a sense like he can go wherever and, 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 you know, and make it happen. Like he can do whatever, or I, I mean, I should say Swiss army knife. I should Swiss say switchblade, yeah. but he could cut it up anyway. <laughs> here or there. But I feel like, you know, I, I still watch men in black because, you know, th- those are some of his, you know, earlier movies. Uh, you know, he had some before that, but there were some of his bigger movies in the beginning and even there's a Rosario Dawson connection there too. If y'all, 
mm-hmm. case y'all didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And like, but she, but you know, like I think he's gonna be remembered because he can do it all. Like, not necessarily like just like a rapper or right or TV star or whatever. I just thought like even going watching that reunion special about Fresh Prince of Bel Air, just like man, he he could he could do it all. Like, and I think he learned a lot. I think he probably grew a lot being in that environment as an actor from these other great actors he he worked with and the, you know that you know this that's, that's not something acting class can teach you you know right. uh, and so i think he took that and even like some of his methods that he does to to you know play these characters he has to part he has to get into character even when he's at home with his family mm-hmm. uh and so you know it makes more sense when you see pictures of him looking crazy with his family and you know why because he's playing some character that's very sad but I think because of all that, he'll be remembered because he's someone who can do it all. Like, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, Savon, to you, kind of like, how do you think in particular Will Smith will be, will be remembered just in terms of all the various talents he's had over the years? I think Will Smith will be remembered as a great person, a great mm-hmm. individual, a 90s star, and a guy who had a shaky movie career. Mm. I'm I'm not all in on all his movies. All his movies. Yeah, I think Men in Black was a decent one. I think Pursuit of Happiness was his his best film. Um, Hitch was up there. Concussion didn't like. Hancock I didn't like. I Am Legend is up there. I Am Robot is it's it's okay. Focus then didn't like. Like I'm not collateral. It was close. I Am Robot was close. Like the acting. It was was close. Yeah, I mean, but he has like I think he has a good ten films. Right, like you can say, because you got to. I like you that. Group bad boys together. You got to group men in black together. I mean, really? Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I see that. Yeah, I see it's, that. It's a, it's a series, so you have to. You got to group them together. But some of yeah. these movies, I'm like, mm, okay. Now, I was I was having this conversation with one of my friends. They was like, he's up there with Denzel. I, no. I think not. No. I think not. No. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> Jamie yeah. Foxx has more range yeah. than Will yeah. Smith. I think so too. Okay, okay, all right, all right. That's hey, all I'm gonna say. I'll, be, I'll, I'll tell say. your friend, tell your friend like Stephen A. Smith saying, stay off the weed. Yeah. <laughs> weed <laughs> duck. Weed duck. Okay. All righty then. I love Will Smith, but chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Will Smith. Going a little too far. Yeah. A little too far. Let's keep him at Fresh Prince, you know? <laughs> um, but, but getting into our last topic, 10, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be a watch one intriguing um, movie? Um, I, I really think it will because this is, you know, an overall brilliant film and just in which everything, I mean, I mean not, there are things that fall into place which in a way that was beautifully done in, in, in a mysteriously un, unfolding story that just contains a few wise lessons. Um, but Max, to you, um, another decade from now, do you think this will continue to be a watchable um, and intriguing movie? Uh, for sure. Because I think it's just, it's relatable. It's it seem, it's real. It's not just Hollywood eyes, you know, storyline of things that are impossible, but it's it's real. It's you know, Some people, this is their real life. Mm-hmm. They're real experiences. I think because of that, that human aspect, I think it connects, uh, you know, and like I said, Rosario Dawson always plays like these characters you can humanize. And so, you know, I think that because of that, people are, you know, look back at this and be something like they can still connect to and, and relate to. Yes, absolutely. Um, Savon, to close it out, like 
do you think like like um do you think from ten years from now this will continue to be um a watchable uh, an intriguing movie from 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 what you've seen of it? I think so. I think it is like what you said. It is original. I never seen a script like this before. A movie that was produced like this before to give this angle of and I do think it taps into suicide um, a lot. Yeah. But I think when I guess his motive was more uh, a grand gesture than a than a suicide, but it's still suicide. And I think it touched that basis as well. And um, but I, I do think it's an intriguing movie. Um, I do have my flaws with it, but I think it's an overall good movie that people still enjoy and see Will Smith go after this type of role and be able to, you know, do it well. I think his performance was really well. Yes, definitely. Well, Max, it has been an absolute pleasure as always to um, to have you on and uh, thanks for being uh, back on for this one, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, like I said, anytime you guys want me back, I'll be there. Uh, you know, as long as my kids ain't acting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta add that in there. <laughs> <laughs> For real. They're the bosses, apparently. Uh, but but no, this, this is a good one to watch again. I actually probably watched this like a month ago, too. So, yeah. like, yeah, it's one of those. I, I, I like it. It pulls me in. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was enjoyable and it was good review with you guys. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wendy Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.